0: This is Melted Snow Podcast, episode 17. In this show, I'll be speaking with Mark Duggan about how he got into photography and his work as a director, his journey so far as a creative, navigating the post-millennial digital age, and his experiences as a first-time parent. Mark has some pretty cool insights and good advice for those wishing to pursue the creative path. Many thanks for listening, and on with the show. Welcome to snap Podcast. Thank you, Jim. Do you want to give me uh, just a quick kind of background as to how you got into being a creative, maybe the first time as a, as a child or boy that you started to get into photography or films or whatever, whatever was the spark that... Okay,
1: yeah. So um, I was quite a, an introverted child. I wasn't a sporty type. Um, my father was quite similar. He was more kind of a, a bookworm, um, f- very into music, film, Theater. He was out mm-hmm. a lot when I when, when I was younger. At uh, working. He where are you from, by the way? Um. So I was born in the now defunct Mount Carmel Hospital. Um. I grew up initially in Raheny on the north side, and then we moved to Clontarf, and then we moved to Drumcondra, which is where I'm now living with my partner and our one year old son. So back to the scene of the crime. <laughs> it's like I was said. Ta- I was saying something the other day. It's like you spend your kind of teenage years like desperate to kind of get away from the area that you grew up in. And then I found myself back there and seeing the kind of the faces that I saw when I was growing up and familiar places and sights and it's it's a kind of a bittersweet thing it's 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 a strange but it's nice uh, it's nice to be back it's a lovely area um, but my father was out a lot so my mother kind of raised me a lot and so I I kind of knew that um, you know she'd take me out on walks she'd kind of sing to me she she played music she was a musician uh, cellist and um, pianist. So there was a lot of music in the house. My father played piano as well. I think my mother was slightly better. They had a bit of a competition going on, but um, yeah, so there was a lot of music, a lot of film. And my dad was kind of a keen photographer, and I think when I was a kid, he showed me, he had like a box of slides, like loads of slides that he'd taken, you know, when he was studying in America when he was travelling. And in Lourdes, he met my mother in Lourdes, they were both volunteering, but um, he had some amazing photography from that trip. He showed me photographs of when the Pope visited in 79 in the Phoenix Park and he had like a press pass to kind of go and have access near the, I guess, the, the pit. Right. <laughs> and he had these incredible photographs. I just, I don't know, I, like I'm this has been kind of talked about a million times before, but just something about the photography and his photography and oh, him always having a camera when I was a kid. I, I, I always remember he would always have his, this Pentax SLR camera, it's big, heavy a manual kind of metal camera and it just, there's something about it just intrigued me Um, you know, he showed me how to use it, he showed me kind of um, he'd bring me out with the camera, um, we'd kind of put on a tripod and do landscape and sunrises and stuff like this and it was just I just felt safe and comfortable and it felt like this was something really interesting and kind of moving on it was in school I wasn't particularly academic, I was um, I was a bit of a daydreamer and a bit of a dosser. I kind of discovered Mitch in high school around fourth year. So fourth year, fifth year, sixth year was kind of just me sort of, you know, not off gallivanting with my friends, but, you know, we'd, we'd sit in coffee shops in Simon's Cafe on Georgia Street. And we used to sit there and kind of drink coffee all day and, you know, talk about music. And that kind of music was a big part of my life as well, obviously because of my parents. But it was, you know, the, the old cliche, it's, a, it's a, such an escape. It's a, it's, a, it's a way of kind of... Um, whatever crap you've got going on in your life there's certain things that will just lift you and music is one of those things for me and it always has been and I think it always will be. The photography and the music was kind of, they were my things in in kind of school. I kind of got into it in transition year. There was a photography kind of, you know, you do all these things in transition year to kind of develop you as a person Um, and I did a photography class and it was sort of, I wouldn't say I was good at it but I was definitely interested in it and the, the darkroom process and developing photographs was just, it just, magic you know it was real magic to me and i was a kind of a moody shit teenager and but that was like that was the only thing i wasn't kind of cynical about one of the few things i wasn't cynical about and that kind of you know those were the early signs i think for me that that was something i was going to kind of gravitate towards i wasn't in the, i wasn't an, an accomplished musician i didn't really stick with the music and i kind of i think i regret that not pursuing it because i think i have a musical ear and i think my Parents imparted a lot of really good musical, really good musical taste mm. to me, and I had, I had a lot of exposure to kind of classical music, um, like Steve Reich, um, just you know rock classics like the Who and the Rolling Stones and the Beatles and. Just and you know it's so much classical music, and I had a love for classical music when I was very very kind of young, and I'm like I, I think I'm eternally grateful to my parents for that because. I think music is like the gift that keeps on giving, and. It's kind of like books, you know, on the late Late show they used to, on the toy show they used to say, give them the gift of reading for Christmas, it's like a gift for life. I think that's the same for music. It was a great kind of um, introduction to kind of the arts for me. Um, going to college, I went to um, Dulik which is a PLC kind of media course open in Kulak, and that was... Um, that was at the time I just didn't have the points for the communications degree in DCU which was at the time I think almost as much as medicine, it was like 510 right. points, it was insane. Um, so that was the year 2000, we just managed to survive the Y2K bug uh, just about and it was um, yeah so I did this 3 year diploma course and it was kind of very much a hands on um, radio sound recording photography and television production, and then kind of film studies and everything else in between. So that was, for me, that was like exactly what I needed to do because I had a kind of an encyclopedic knowledge about films. I was obsessed with films as a kid. I used to spend my pocket money that I earned on a paper on a paper route and um, buying VHS and I, bought, I had a subscription to Empire magazine. It was endlessly fascinating to me. You know, the films, the way they were constructed, the way they were edited, the music, the visuals, all of that stuff just I like, kind of consumed. But then I became interested in how they made those films and how they mm. kind of, you know, visual effects. I was, you know, I wanted to know how they kind of achieved those shots. And then I started reading up about it. And it's like a, a labyrinth. Once you kind of open the door, mm. there's just there's so many different routes you can go. And it's they're all kind of interconnected. And once you kind of figure out the connections, it become you know, it, there's these lights kind of start going on. and It's very fulfilling. But the course I did was... Um, less about film, more about kind of production and kind of the, you know, basic photography, basic kind of sound recording. And then I went and did a degree, a follow-up degree in the University of Wolverhampton, which was which is kind of like a grey, bleak, Midlands town near outside, like about half an hour outside Birmingham. Um wasn't a particularly inspiring place, but one of the lecturers was fantastic. He was, um, his name I can't remember, but he was a A visual video artist from London and he was kind of he was like hot property in the 80s him and his uh, working partner they kind of I guess they did these sort of um, installations utilizing video and and kind of physical objects as well as themselves and they they were very kind of abstract and very I guess London 80s art scene Mm -hmm. Um, but he was a really interesting guy and I think he kind of extracted certain things within me and kind of tease those out and and I kind of, because I was really interested in the format of video and not film, it was video because video is more accessible. It was, you know, my father had a video camera always and so I had access to a video camera Um, and it was, you know, he kind of imparted a kind of a DIY aesthetic and you know that you don't need to have money and you don't need to have this, you just need to have your imagination and you need to have ideas and the ideas he was, he was kind of putting to us and helping us kind of tease out were, you know, they were wacky and they were kind of childish. But, you know, it, it, I got a kick out of being 22, doing a degree and kind of making shapes out of our bodies and filming them. And, you know, it, it's so, it's so <coughs> ludicrous, but I respected the, um, the fact that he dedicated himself to this. A man in his, like, early 40s, and he'd spent, you know, most of his 20s and 30s, you know, hobnobbing with the elite and kind of being well respected for essentially being a child, mm. but kind of, I don't know, channeling it in such a way that it seemed accessible. So that was me, 22 degree in kind of digital media, um, you know. And then I was like, I came home and I didn't really know what to do because I think I needed to kind of decompress after spending the year in the Midlands. It was, it was a weird place, there was no there was just no it was all concrete. Um and that had a really I think a slightly negative effect on me. I kind of need to I need to be around greenery and like parks and the beach and there was none of that. it was just cold and grey all the time. So I came back and I just kind of did nothing for about three or four months. Um it was good to be back good to be home, living with my folks again, see my brother and sister, um and then it was sort of it was a couple of years until i started to make sense of where i needed to be because i think that i'm not the kind of, i wasn't the kind of person that wouldn't had a kind of a get up and go attitude i was very very laid back and um, almost detrimentally laid back because it just i expected you know someone to call me up and go oh i heard you finish your degree and it's, it just doesn't work like that my naive self was kind of just going oh yeah something will fall into my lap and i'll i'll just go ahead with that yeah it took me a while a lot of um a lot of temp jobs, a lot of terrible jobs. To kind of realize that that's definitely what I didn't want to do, and I always knew I didn't want to work in an office or have to go into a job which didn't give me any love. Because I don't know, it just seemed like such a it seemed like such a waste mm-hmm. to kind of spend eight hours of your day every day, just you know, looking clock watching, and that just terrified me. And so I think there was one moment I think I had where I actually sobbed. Where I was, um, I was working in this warehouse out in Ashburn, and um, my day for about three weeks, they didn't have any work for me to do, and I was on a temp temporary contract. So they gave me a large sweeping brush, and this warehouse was probably the size of five football pitches, like a big logistics warehouse, um, and they just say, tell me to sweep up, and so I pushed this, I pushed this brush around this insanely big warehouse, from seven a.m. till four p.m. every day for about four weeks. Now you know, boo-hoo, poor me, get the violin out, but that was like, you know, in my mind I was like, I'm better than this, and you know, I. but it, it was really depressing, and I was like, I was really low around that time, and I actually remember I had a point where I sat down, I, I hid in one of the, in the kind of loading days, and I kind of started weeping, so sad, um, and I rang up my missus, and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore, and she's like, well then don't do it, and do what you want to do sort of thing and it wasn't, wasn't said in so many words but that was the general gist of it and I kind of I think that might have been the, the catalyst to kind of get me above my arse and kind of apply myself and actually take what I learned in college and university and kind of apply those and figure it out for myself because it is I think everybody has to kind of it's if you're in any kind of artistic or if you're artistically minded or you're kind of going that way there's no, um, you, you know, you get your diploma or degree and you go into a job. It's, you know, my sister's an accountant and she was like, why don't you just get a job? And I was like, well, I can't just get a job. It's like, you know, I want to be a photographer, I think. And I want to kind of do film, I think. But I don't really know how to kind of follow through with it. I don't know how to kind of make that work. And there, there is no kind of, there was no roadmap or, you know, we weren't told that in college. Like, here are the five, you know, at Buzzfeed, like 10... Here are the top ten things you you can do when you leave college to get a job. It just you know that was the that was the thing you had to figure out for yourself. So having the having the big weep in the warehouse was uh, was definitely a kind of a catalyst, kind of for me to stop wasting time and kind of get on with it. So I started um, sort of photographing bands and live gigs, and I had a lot of friends who were kind of and still are kind of active on the double music scene. In terms of accessibility, I had a kind of a. A well a pool I could kind of draw and then kind of if I said to a, a mate it's like can I come along to your gig and I'll shoot it for you and you can have the photographs for your website because it was around 2004 so you know most bands had a, an online presence so they were, would require photographs so I could you know I would like you know get me the show for free, get me a few beers or whatever or pay me 50 quid and I'll shoot the show for you and I'll do some band shots and I started off like that and then kind of it just kind of grew very quickly. I started blagging passes from MCD, you know, for bigger gigs, and it was I kind of realized that you know, you needed to kind of shoot the bigger bands to sort of get your name out there, and mm-hmm. so I blagged my way through a lot of us um, and started shooting for um, bands. Started kind of commissioning me to do like artwork for their albums or the singles or whatever, and then it just sort of, it kind of steadily grew and grew. Um, I started doing stuff then for the big festivals, sort of shooting uh, kind of sponsored events. And it was a period of about three or four years, or about three years where I kind of just photographed every gig in Dublin. And I used to work for Wheelands in the Village, I was an in-house photographer. All the photographs were on the walls there, I used to kind of photograph those. And then, yeah, there was a couple of years where I was kind of very, very much kind of active on the Dublin music scene and kind of photography. I was exhibiting my work and, um, you know worked with a lot, of, a lot of bands and it was a really really exciting kind of blurry time but it was a really kind of fun time and it was very much of my early 20s and i associate kind of that part of my career i guess as me starting off and finding my feet and um, then me and my partner went traveling for just under a year and i kind of i had my camera with me and i kind of got interested as most people do when they go traveling and say these days you take photographs of the landscape mm-hmm. and the people and, you know, you're on that kind of, you're on a different journey for a few months where you're kind of, you think you're discovering new lands and, you know, you think you're, you know, you, you, we both were at a point where we needed to kind of get away and just, you know, do something different for a few months because I think my partner was kind of beginning to embark on her career and it was sort of a thing she knew. She was in her mid-twenties, so it's time to kind of knuckle down to it mm-hmm. um, And I kind of went along and it was, you know, I had that experience of photographing strangers, you know, engaging with people that I didn't know and kind of having the guts to kind of go up to them and, you know, talk to them and build up a very, very quick relationship with them in five ten minutes and then take their photograph. Sometimes I wouldn't take their photograph, but it was about kind of, I always associate that time with um, kind of overcoming my fear of photographing people and sort of in a, in a sense it was kind of the gestation period for my street photography which i do a lot of on instagram now but it was about sizing things up when you're out and you know you don't it's kind of just it's seeing something and knowing how to kind of react to it and if you see somebody that looks interesting or you kind of you see something that appeals to you it's about not letting that moment slip past you mm. or, or get away and kind of always always be kind of um always be taking photographs and I think that was, that was a time I kind of realised that you always have to be taking photographs to kind of figure out where you're going and what you, where your strengths lie and kind of, I came back from that trip and I, I think I realised that I didn't particularly want to kind of keep doing music photography and kind of band shots as much as I, you know, I'd done stuff with the enemy and for Hot Press and, you know, the enemy stuff was... great because i was i grew up reading that when i was a teenager and you know that was extremely gratifying but i think broadening my mind on my travels made me realize that there was a you know there was a whole other world out there and i didn't just want to kind of be in a gig gig every night of the week that i wanted to kind of be out and kind of interacting with people and you know that sort of thing so I, i think i was um when i got back i sort of promised myself that i was gonna Figure out how to get into magazines, get my work into magazines, um, shoot portraits, shoot commercial stuff. Just it kind of just opened me up, and I wasn't particularly ready for it, but I knew that that's kind of where I, where I wanted to go, kind of go with it. Okay.
0: Kind of interested in is, I suppose taking the general category of photography and, and filmmaking or making images and so moving images, and I'm just getting your your perspective on what it means just to have the, those those eyes and those ears. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Taking you know you have obviously you just said there about how you view things you, you know that's changed and is constantly changing and mm. you know you when you interact when you go outside your house and you start to engage with you know reality that you're. You're, you're perceiving it in a way maybe that's differently to other people. I'm interested in maybe just examining that area a bit more. I, I found that intriguing that, you know, you, you said that you, you should always be taking photographs, for example.
1: Yeah, so I think, um, well, first of all, um, somebody said something to me. I was, I was in Chicago um, on a shoot for a, a travel magazine and the writer was with me. And we were, the, the, the focus of the story was on the, the Chicago music scene. So it was about the kind of the, the blues, the jazz, and then the kind of the Chicago house as well, and so we kind of photographed a lot of musicians, a lot of DJs, um, the venue, club owners, club promoters, um, and then the kind of city shots as well. And I, I was there for kind of six days, seven days, and the writer had organised a lot of these kind of setups, <laughs> like the, have an interview and then we do a quick photo shoot. You kind of inhabit a different headspace when you're kind of photographing people especially when you're kind of you've got limited time which you always have which is always the case with photographers it's you never have as much time as you want to have you you know if you had your way you would spend two days with a person and kind of explore every possible route visually with them and um, you, you know you kind of build up a rapport or a relationship but when you only have a certain amount of time your kind of brain you know I think a good photographer is able to kind of mold their personality and kind of i definitely inhabit a different in um personality when i'm photographing people because i'm not naturally i can be introverted i can be extroverted i think everybody has different size to personality of course but i wouldn't be naturally kind of happy with what people are strangers i'm, I'm quite i'd be quite quiet um, but when i'm working with people or if i have to kind of draw out some kind of performance from them or i need them to kind of do something for me I, the, the, the writer said to me, he's like, you're a different person when you're taking photographs. And I was, like, I was like, I know. And I kind of, I knew that about myself because I always feel like, am I putting on too much of a facade here when I'm working? And it's, but you, I find it necessary sometimes to kind of inhabit a different personality because it allows me to kind of get what I want. And I think that when I said about, you need to be always taking photographs, what I mean is is absolutely that. Like you, you constantly have to, you know, I, I don't particularly look a lot at other photographers' work. Um, I, I I I can appreciate what's come before me, um, and I'm very much aware of my peers' work. But I tend not to like look too much at it because I used to do that at the start of my career, and it was really uh, detrimental to my ego and to, to my. I felt very insecure, and that's not what you want to feel when you're trying to kind of break into an industry or kind of make a name for yourself. I just, it was, you know, because I think that with any creative endeavor, you're, you know, you're, 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 you're such a, you're such a kind of a, you're a victim of your own um, fragile mind. And you really have to kind of, I think you, you, you constantly have to kind of overcome these daily struggles to kind of be at your best and by taking photographs all the time I found that, you know, from a technical point of view you're able to kind of master certain techniques or certain things but just from a kind of a a thing of accomplishing something every day, like there was days, you know, there was days or weeks where I wouldn't have any work on when I was starting off I might have one or two gigs a month, you know, and that would keep me going but it was it was sort of a thing of what do I do on my days off and I kind of did this thing where i had to i made myself every day for about six months go out into town or wherever it was with my camera and take photographs of people either unaware or approach them and take a portrait of them and um, find something interesting and and do that and then go home and edit those photographs and see what i had at the end of the day and i did that every day for i think it was seven months it was around 2000, 2006 um, t- sorry, two thousand seven, and it was, it was an incredibly invaluable exercise because it made me realise where my strengths and weaknesses lay, and it was, you know, I knew I, I, kind of figured out, even though it didn't feel natural, that I was actually quite good with people, and from approaching them on the street to taking a photograph within the space of a minute, and that was an incredibly exciting, nerve-wracking, but exciting, um, way to work, and it, it kind of takes you out of your comfort zone and that's really what I think as a photographer you have to do, is that you kind of have to create something out of nothing or create a moment when there is no moment and it can feel really forced sometimes and 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 your own how you are in yourself can really di- dictate the, how you feel about how a shoot went and sometimes I, I do shoots where I'm like that was terrible and the person who I was photographing said I really enjoyed that and you're like kind of scratching your head going really? like that felt awful to me and mm-hmm there could be something, there's something bothering you, you're feeling down about something or there's, you're just feeling insecure or there could be, there's a myriad of reasons why you can feel the way you're feeling but it really is, um, it's quite a subjective thing and I think you have to be a people person if you're going to photograph mm-hmm. people and it's, it doesn't always come naturally to me so that was, that exercise in taking photographs every day and I still do that, you know, and I don't always do it with my camera, like I... I kind of, uh, one of the social media platforms I love is Instagram. And I kind of use my mobile phone, the camera on my phone, to take photographs every day. So I'm still kind of, in a sense, carrying that on. Um, And I, you know, I probably shoot five, six times a week. And I might be working five, six days a week. But even if I'm between shoots, after a shoot, weekend, I still, you always have your mobile phone with you. We were talking Mm -hmm. earlier on about, you you're tethered to your phone. And it's like a blessing and a curse, but for me, I kind of, Instagram is an extremely um, gratifying platform to be on because there's a, real, there's a real sense of community, and you were talking about the community of the internet 1.0 where, mm. you know, a, you know forums were still a kind of a, an optimistic place where there wasn't just hate talk and, yeah. you know, people putting each other down. It was a real sense of, this is an exciting time, let's help each other out, you know, for a common mm. end goal. And I feel Instagram had, in a way hasn't really been tarnished too much by, you know, they've, they advertise on Instagram now and it doesn't really bother me. It's, it's, it's a, for me, it's an incredibly immediate way of displaying my work. And one of the, one of the things I find is I, I, I used to be so precious about my work and I would never post stuff online. And I would be kind of, I'd scrutinise each image and I would just be... You know, you, you think in the back of your mind, you're like, this is, you know, this is, I'm, I'm kind of following the footsteps of my hero, Stanley Kubrick, and it's like, but it's not, you have to kind of not be pressed about things. And I, always, I often think that some of my favorite musicians or artists are the ones who are incredibly prolific and who put out work. And, and I'm sure that that was a leap of faith for them on their part because it's, it's, um, you mightn't necessarily feel all that great about a piece of work or piece of music, but I think by putting it out there and letting, letting it out into the world almost kind of really it's released from you and it's out of your hands and then I kind of feel like that about photography and as I've kind of come along in my career I've I'm less precious about it. I kind of, I know I know what I want from a shoot from a shot or I know what I want to get I know what the end result needs to be um but I definitely I think Instagram has allowed me to kind of okay. be less precious so I'm I love Instagram I love it um but yeah, some incredible talent on there as well. And that's, I find that extremely inspirational. Okay, like I okay. genuinely get inspired every day just by looking at it. I mean, if I spend two or three minutes in the morning scrolling through the newsfeed, it's just, it's just you know, you, you decide who you want to follow. So you kind of dictate the, the content. Uh, I just want to
0: maybe just comment on what you said about mm-hmm. um, the discipline of... of or the self-imposed discipline, I suppose, of doing something that is about the process of just taking photographs or making music or whatever. And I think it's a recurring theme with other people I've spoken to about, you know, the role of the artist is um, to produce mm. the art. It's one of the things you have to actually do is walk the walk, because in that process of expressing or investigation or whatever, invariably in my experience as well, I don't know if, you, if you've found this, that you discover things that, that the random... Mistake the way yeah. the camera blurred, or the way the light came through. It was it was it was something you hadn't necessarily contrived to happen. Yeah. The discipline of just keep doing that creates new directions that you you didn't even necessarily know you could go down or new experiences, or whatever. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's interesting you say that because uh, I've spoken with other other people about what they do and write, they say, writers, yeah. you know, writers write. Um, I heard recently that. Uh, on another pod- podcast actually that this guy was saying about Stephen King and how he goes about um, you know his daily ritual is to write 2000 words every day regardless of how he feels whatever but he doesn't doesn't stop until he writes 200 creative words let's say and he could be finished in an hour or it could take him eight hours um, I'm very fond of that mm. th- those rituals those daily routines where you you know you're forcing yourself regardless of how you feel emotionally just to create something all the time and as you said the prolific yeah. artists out there they're always doing shit they're yeah creating something and it doesn't necessarily have to be about mm. photographs so I don't know about you but I And that's something maybe we could talk about uh, later is your you know interest in other areas like writing and making movies and mm-hmm. you know creative writing or even just interesting thought processes you know yeah. like a, I don't know you experience or where I would I would take on board a, a concept of you know philosophical undertaking and I, I'm I'm might necessarily be making art on the back of it but I'm I'm internalising that that concept and I'm trying to make sense of it internally and, and it might get expressed then through a piece of music or through a thought I might have or yeah. or how I perceive what's going on in the world and I find that, that self-discipline, I think, is, is mm. really important, you know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think um one of the things that was kind of quite liberating for me was, you know, I was very kind of, I was extremely, um, you know, I'm, I'm on my own here, I'm doing it all by myself, DIY and all that. And it's, you know, and I figured a lot of stuff out for myself and I taught myself a lot. And I kind of learned through watching, through doing, through assisting. um. But I found that something that was quite liberating and opened up a whole other world of possibilities for me was actually collaborating with other people and working with other people. And it was something I not I always shied away from because I just had kind of crap experiences in college of doing group projects. And it was always like, it was always one or two people who were so opinionated and you just kind of, you draw your eyes and be like, can we just do this please and like do it well? You know, and it's it's childish, it's silly, it's, it's kind of throwaway, but it, that was kind of, I think that was a big, that had a big, um, that left a big imprint on me as a, a kind of a negative imprint, like I, where I just didn't want to work with other people. I kind of just wanted to go out and take photographs and, you know, that was it. Obviously, you work with people, you have a client or you have someone you're taking the photographs for, but, you know, you're doing it yourself as a photographer. You're not like, you don't have like a team working for you necessarily. um. But it was kind of when I started, you know, I had a couple of designer friends and we kind of, you know, we we'd meet up and we'd kind of talk about what we'd like and we'd show each other kind of mood boards that we'd saved online and and we started we did a couple of like um, group exhibitions with other designers and stuff and it was just you know that was incredibly exciting because it was around the time of my career I think when I was sort of figuring out different um, different elements to it and I was at the time beginning to kind of do more video and and that was kind of that was that was enabled. By the camera that I was using it was if you want to get technical for a second it's my next question. the yeah. Canon 5D Canon Mark II which was released kind of late 2008 and I got that camera early 2009 and I actually went to New York to buy it and they saw a out of it but I got a holiday out of New York but it was like I came back and got the camera and that was I mean most photographers will say it's not really about the tools that you use it's, you know, it's really about your eye and stuff like that but that camera kind of opened up a, a lot of doors for me because I was able to shoot stills, but I was also able to shoot HD video. And the, the, the thing that was like quote unquote game changing about it was the fact that you could shoot video, but shoot video in a filmic looking way because you had, you know, you could use your lenses. So you could have like a 50mm mm-hmm. prime lens, like wide open, and you could have, you know, you could have focus pulls and, you know, you could do all this sort of stuff. That was, you know, at the time, digital video was fairly limited in terms of the look of it. It always had a very digital video look to it which in itself is lovely but this kind of enabled people to create really kind of gorgeous elegant filmic looking scenes and that for me was just like that kind of blew my mind and you know here was a camera that was able to do both and do them really really well mm. and I had a few kind of commercial clients who were digital d- digital campaigns were becoming a big thing at the time. Um and so and it was just around the time of just after the recession, so everybody wanted to do more for less. So it was about can we do the stills and also the video part at the same time? Right. Which I was more than yeah. happy to do because it allowed me to kind of experiment and then kind of try out the video aspects of the camera. It is that kind of gratifying thing of creating something from nothing and mm. but, but to actually kind of bounce ideas off somebody else and to kind of filter out the good and the bad and and just to kind of end up with something that was a kind of a marriage of uh physical objects photographed with with kind of graphics overlaid and that for me was was extremely interesting and a new way of working because i was now sharing my ideas with people whereas before i'd kind of just write them in notebooks or i'd keep them on my laptop or whatever it was i'd have i'd have images saved in a folder just for my own kind of references and that was yeah that was pretty that was a new thing that was a new way of working for me because i discovered the kind of the joy of collaborating and for someone who kind of didn't really gravitate towards that before that was it was pretty exciting and so that was kind of that was definitely another turning point for me in my career in that i was able to kind of not be precious about ideas
0: Shift in your your relationship mm. with moving images, or whatever, and I'd almost go to say that it's almost become your signature style, to a certain degree in in, in your you know in your ongoing visual career. Mm. Uh, not to say that that won't change again, but mm. it's interesting to say that because I think the stylings of your videos are have that craft that, that I think for me one of the things that stands out is that the, the, you have a, a, a the eye of a photographer who's making moving images mm. as opposed to somebody who's a, a you know, comes from a movie-making background, you know? Yeah. Um, so, I'll, I'll, we'll expand on that in a minute, because I definitely sure. want to get into the moving images thing, but um, I can't really have this conversation with you without talking about Kit. <laughs> and, okay. Um, for the camera nerds who are listening. Yeah, uh, how you, doing? you know, <laughs> um, as, as everyone departs at this point in the conversation, yeah. but the question I have, right, is, you know, the, you, you grew up, as you were saying, you know, very much analogue, Mm. Uh, you know, SLR camera, and then the shift into the digital uh, era, and then where do you stand now? Like, and, and maybe a bit of the pros and cons. But camera is basically like somebody who knows really nothing about cameras. Give me a kind of a um, you know summary of the the good, the bad, and the, the evil.
1: Well, I'm kind of okay. I'll try my best. I think I'm. Um, so I've been using a digital SLR since you know 2004 was when I got into digital photography. So. The, um, I use a canon camera it's a 5d mark 3 and I also have a 5d mark 2 and you know they both shoot video they both shoot and a high enough res uh, still 22 million pixels so in terms of lenses really photography it, you know you can the, the body is important obviously but the lens I think is more important because really the lens will kind of um, dictate the look and feel of the image and um, so I've always been a kind of a big advocate of using prime lenses, and prime lenses are kind of lenses that will allow a lot of light in. So it'll you know you you have f stops of 1.4 or 1.2, or two point eight. And um, the reason for that is I use natural light in a lot of my photography, and I kind of do studio shoots. I'll light things if I need to, but my I, I, just, I love the kind of exploring the kind of the tones and the the, the kind of the feel of how the human face looks under natural light and especially shadows and kind of uh, dusk and kind of magic hour and um, early morning light like the light fluctuates so much from morning, noon, afternoon and evening and it's knowing how to kind of draw out the, the light that's available to you um, and I've always done that and utilising that uh, kind of prime lenses it gives you the power to kind of harness the available light or if there's very little light it's about knowing how to draw that out as well. Smart, when you say prime lens, what was it? So a prime, prime lens for? would be um, the 50mm lens. And the 50mm lens is available for a Nikon, Canon, any camera. Um, and the 50mm is generally considered to be um, how the human eye interprets a scene. So if you look at something, if you put a 50mm prime lens on a camera, the, the field of view will be quite similar to what you're seeing with your human eye. Uh, well of course it's your human eye it's not an artificial eye, <laughs> um so it it, that, it sort of Im- it mimics the field of view, of the of the human eye so it's, um, that's the lens that most, I think most colleges like photography courses will recommend to their students to buy straight away because, it's the most versatile lens it is a, it basically has an aperture and the reason it's prime is that it opens right up so it usually has a an f stop of one point eight. The the smaller the number, the wider the, the um the aperture opens, the more light as it comes in. Mm-hmm. So it gives you the it gives you the kind of the the option to shoot under quite low light conditions by opening up the aperture, but it also allows you to kind of shoot in bright conditions by closing the aperture. So it doesn't have any zoom on it. It's a fixed focal length of fifty mil. But it just it's an all round amazing lens, and I still, the fifty mil is probably the one lens that's always on my camera. It's never really taken off because. It's in, it's great for portraits. It's great for kind of interior stuff. If you're want to shoot mm-hmm. natural light, it's just kind of a really nice all round lens. So, I use a lot of prime lenses. I use a fifty mm I use an eighty five mm An eighty five mm would be kind of primarily for portraits. And then I have um, a kind of a twenty four seventy which I use for, you know, if you want to do like kind of uh, studio shoots. If you need to have the width, the, you know, a wide angle lens, it's kind of it's it's a it's good all rounder. Um, You've got a zoom on it so it gives you a bit more latitude with the image. So other gear that I have, like, I mean, these are all kind of, like I have a flash that you can put on the camera or I can use it wirelessly. So if I need need to, like, trigger it remotely, I have a a kind of a trigger release that I have on the camera that allows you to kind of place the lens or the the, the flash, sorry, wherever you want. So it just you can have a bit more, um, you can kind of play around with kind of lighting situations. Um, I have studio lights that I use for, primarily studio stuff I use it on location product photography um generally you know I do a couple of studio shoots a month but my preferred way of working would be outdoors natural light or kind of on location I like to kind of utilize what's there already you know obviously there's certain shoots that kind of call for you to kind of create a whole environment or a whole kind of setup from scratch which you know you can do in conjunction with art director or a stylist Mm -hmm. but um generally i would prefer to kind of utilize what's there and kind of extract as much as i can and tease out as much as i can with with, uh, with kind of what's available to me Um, so in terms of gear slrs lenses flash those are kind of you know you really only need like a a a, 50mm lens a a good camera body, and a flash possibly there's another, there's another kind of camera system which I'm, I'm intrigued by. It's called, it's a mirrorless camera. It's basically like kind of a very, it almost looks like a compact camera. These are kind of basically cameras that are just, they produce a really kind of high quality image. Um, but the beauty of them is that they don't, um, they're not as bulky as an SLR. So an SLR is great for most things, but the one thing that I find, I guess the con if you like of using an SLR is that there's not, it's not very discreet. You can't really be discreet out on the street with a, an SLR. Like if you're, if I'm out walking around and I want to take photographs of people and I don't want them to see me, an SLR is the last thing that I'll use. I'll use my camera on my phone first just because it doesn't allow you to kind of blend in. It's, you, you have to look through, you have to look through the viewfinder. Um, it makes a noise. It's kind of bulky. It's mm. not very discreet. Um, mirrorless cameras are kind of, you know, they the size of your microphone there. They're, <laughs> you know, four inches um, in size you can kind of look through the viewfinder, you can shoot oh sorry, you can shoot through the the, the screen, but it, it kind of allows you to kind of untether yourself from physically holding it to your face um, and kind of use it more like a compact camera, but it's a you know it, it has a, a kind of a more advanced system to it. Um, I'm I'm intrigued by that for the possibilities of using it discreetly and just having something that's a bit more stealth. Stealth <laughs> and compact, exactly. Um, okay. Cool. Uh, yeah. No. Look, I'm, I'm I'm I'm
0: learning a lot here, so <laughs> uh, taking notes in my head. Hmm. Um, yeah, I suppose that will brings me on to the unavoidable digital era we live in, and you spoke hmm. really about Instagram. And I'd just be interested to get your take on your relationship with the internet, both as a producer of media and also just in terms of how you engage with it uh, as a as a consumer. Or hmm. you know, the, we're we're kind of almost on the other side of the, the dawn of a new, of a new era of, mm. of existence uh, in, in how we consume um, media and how we produce media. And you are, you're both a producer of media and you're also a consumer of media. Mm-hmm. I'd be interested to hear your, your relationship with, with that and how you go about, you know, producing your media and putting it out there. And then on the flip side is how do you filter out the, the, the noise that's out there? Mm. Is, is it a struggle that you, you have? like?
1: So I use the internet to kind of like you say put my content out there i also as a as a consumer i am on, it pretty much all day every day it's you know emails um news sites um i have kind of go-to uh, websites for kind of visual inspiration and um, vimeo is you know i we use myself and Eva who does four, four with me and um, this one of the side projects i do it's we use vimeo um, primarily because we prefer the aesthetic of it over YouTube and um, there's a bit more of a kind of a community and um, it's kind of more geared towards kind of filmmakers and YouTube is incredible but it's it's almost it's so big that it's it's um, I think I sometimes feel like the content would be lost a little bit on YouTube um, Vimeo there's more it's more kind of community based it's slightly more community based but. them um, so I use Vimeo um, as a kind of a um, video platform for all my content, um, both the Forkful videos, my own stuff that I've directed or shot, music videos, I put it all on Vimeo. Um, I would use Facebook. I have a Facebook account. I don't really know why sometimes, but it's. Um, I, I kind of use that to, I'll sometimes plug my own things. I kind of, from time to time, will share a video or a music video or a song or weird wacky website that you found or whatever it is but I, I kind of my my relationship with Facebook I've, I've kind of found myself questioning a lot more lately that I don't, I don't really know why I use Facebook because I kind of feel unusual about sometimes um, you know being a voyeur to somebody else's life and a lot of the time you don't really know a lot of people on Facebook like you might have met them a couple of times and they've added you or you've added them and there's this thing of, it's like keeping tabs on people and you don't really, I don't really want to keep tabs on people. I don't really want to know where they are sometimes. I don't really care where, what, who people are with or what they've done. It's, It's kind of just this thing of feeling like you need to engage but also feeling like you need to kind of upload and show your own life. And I think I've become a lot more private. I don't necessarily want to share that side of me it's like my friends know who i am and what i'm about and that's enough and i often i kind of sometimes feel like i'm do, do does i put that up to kind of reinforce who i think i am or do i do that to kind of because i think hey look check this out this guy this is pretty funny or this is pretty cool looking um facebook that's my facebook presence um instagram like i talked about. Is my definitely my favourite and I, I can see myself sticking with it be, just because it allows me to kind of be spontaneous, be kind of more impulsive.
0: Could I ask her, you know, if you were to step outside of your interaction with it and maybe observe it as a, you know, the, the, the cultural implication of the internet era, it's, it's kind of people who listen to this podcast are... Going Jim's, I'll asking that question again. But uh, it is something I I am concerned about, and, and I'm interested in. This isn't about how I feel. <laughs> I'm interested in, you know, do you feel the the, the impact that it's having on people's behaviours, uh, and and how you observe how people behave, both socially and and their online presence, whatever. Have you any concerns? Is this something that we should just yeah no worries, or is it like actually no, that's quite stirring. Like what what's your view on? Um, and where we're we at with it and where do you think it's kind of going
1: I think I mean from day one when we got the internet kind of late 90s in our house like 90, it was actually 1999 we got the internet in our house it was dial up and you know, straight away I was like this is amazing and it was you know it was extremely like looking back on it it was like web 1.0 or 2.0 it was so basic and it was you it know, really wasn't any frills to it it was just it was what it was and you had to kind of know what you were looking for to kind of get the benefit from it i found now it's like people just everyone's a content creator and everyone is kind of everyone has a voice everyone has a platform my feelings on the internet are it's a tool like any tool it can be used for good it can be used for bad there's a lot of crap on the internet that i just switch off to um the pitch the pitchfork mentality not the website but the pitchfork mentality of people on the internet it just it, it kind of makes me sad because we were talking earlier on about Twitter and I kind of find I kind of find the Twitter I, I haven't really kind of grasped Twitter and maybe I don't use it properly I probably don't use it properly but I just I find that the constant dialogue is kind of um, can sometimes just be kind of almost like white noise to me I, I don't really it starts off with somebody expressing an opinion and then it's like everyone kind of chimes in with their opinion and it's it's a it's a conversation but like a lot of conversations it just seems to be who can shout the loudest and um you, you know very political very politically correct and sometimes um people who think that they're liberal are actually not at all and I, I, I don't know I, I find that on Twitter I switch off very quickly and I don't I don't particularly want to engage and I don't know why because I kind of find it's I would prefer to express these opinions about politics or whatever it is in person and like I, I, I still I crave that human interaction and that actual physicality of sitting down with somebody and talking. I don't get the same kick doing it online. I find the comment sections of most websites just just, just to be grim beyond, you know, description. They're just they're just kinda like it's like the worst the worst people. Uh, just, just saying whatever comes into their head, and then there's then you have people who kind of <clears throat> who kind of call them up on it, and it's just it's like endless abuse. And like I, years ago, I would have looked at this stuff and kind of gotten angry about certain things that were said. And now I just don't look at them. And I think that that's that's what you have to do. You have to switch off mm. certain parts of the internet and just not go there because, um, you know, like broadsheet.ie is like a website I used to always go on when I first started because I thought it was a really really good mix of satire news and kind of current events and it just it just wore me down man. like it just wore me down like it just found that it was it was kind of stirring the pot a lot and the people that went on it were just uh, I don't know they just weren't my kind of people and they just uh, trolls, uh, trolls because, yeah. you know don't feed the trolls but it's like right. I kind of you know you feel like People feel like they have to keep coming back for more, and I'm like, no, you don't have to go. You don't. You don't. No one's telling you to go onto that website every day. If it may, you know, mm-hmm. people go on the Daily Mail every day. It's like, just yeah, block it and turn it off and don't go back because there's so much. You know, there's so much negativity in the world, and it's a struggle sometimes to stay positive when people around you can be just mm-hmm. want to. They want to gr- wear you down. They want to grind you down, and it's like. I don't need to go on the internet and experience that as well because you know my experience with the internet has always been positive and it's always been a t- it's always been a research tool it's always been a way for me to kind of um, get my work done to display my work to you know sometimes engage with people who like or dislike the work um, it's it's the new television it is it's like television it's like most people you know 10 fifteen years, twenty years ago they went home and they turned on the T V and had a bottle glass of wine or a bottle of beer or something on the takeaway and that was their that's how they switched off. And now people sit with the T V on with a laptop on their laps mm. and they have like this dual engagement. But I think that the internet is the new television and that's obviously the way it's going. But like television, there's a lot of crap. Yeah. Um and you have to know how to filter that out. And I, I, I guess the internet's made my life better in a lot of ways and it's allowed me to have a presence like an, uh, have an online presence um, both Instagram, Vimeo, YouTube um, and my website but there's a lot of things about it I just can't stand and I, I'm of at, I'm at, I'm at an age now where I don't feel the need like I have to engage with it mm. or I, 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 well, I won't give it any attention because you have to kind of, you have to have a filter otherwise mm you can't absorb everything. You can't um you can't take all of that you can't process yeah. all that information. Yeah, or all that
0: yeah, I, I, for what it's worth I'm I'm very much in, in line with that. Like yeah. I, I just the way I deal with trolling and and the, the dark the darker side of you know, the the negative portal that just people throw in their their hate into. I just mm. I just avoid. It's it's basically yeah. I look at it as, as somewhere I just don't want it don't want it want even to be around. So mm. I just don't go there. I don't go on to Facebook. I don't go on to Twitter. Um, and, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a kind of a, a maybe a social pressure uh, amongst your peers that you're missing out on something. And, and this constant uh, anxiety of, you know, fear of missing out. and I think the internet yeah. feeds on those insecurities, Absolutely. you know, where if you're not on Facebook, if you're not on Twitter, if you're not on whatever the next fucking snapchat thing or whatever it is I, you know yeah. it's basically oh my god your, your life is basically less important or less relevant and I, I find in my how I deal with it is I, I've, I've somehow found the confidence and self esteem within myself and maturity maybe just to go okay that's alright I'm, I'm okay with that I'm, I'm missing out I'm missing out on snapchat I'm missing out yeah. on you're missing out nothing on, though on, on snapchat whatever and, you know the, 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 my particular book there uh, with regards to not just the internet as such as, as, a, as a virtual entity and, and how we engage with it but something that kind of bothers me more than more than anything is the, the portability of our access to the internet in particular how it's fundamentally changed people how people socially interact to the mm. point where we're far less interested in being in the moment and and, and having a, a, a one-on-one interaction with somebody mm. if you look at, any queue in any coffee shop or or bus or anywhere where people are out in the public, mm-hmm. I'd say 90% now of my observation of people are are either surfing their smartphone, listening to something. They're not in the moment. There's no, in my experience, there's no real opportunity to have a random occasion with somebody or have a random conversation because mm-hmm. they're, they're in the shutdown mode where Like I was looking at, I was in a coffee shop the other day and I was just kind of validating my own view on this, but I just looked at a queue, There's about 10 people. Every single one of them had their head in their phone. Mm. The way I deal with it is, well, I want to be the the army of one. Mm. I want to be the person, like I don't have a smartphone. And like, you know, congratulations, Jim, you're great. You know, Mm. know, I'm not even saying that. I'm just saying how I deal with it is just, I'm going to walk my own, or so I'm going to walk my own path, but engage in it in a way that to me and this mm. is how i want the internet to function i'm in agreement with you i think it's probably the most important mm-hmm. tool that, that man has ever had you know yeah. and with that comes immense power like the, the power to affect everyone our reality how we perceive reality the knowledge we have access to information connecting with people mm. it's like it's it's you know it's a fundamental paradigm shifting game changer right but the flip side of that was it also it feeds into people's insecurities, and you need to be strong willed. Absolutely,
1: I think you you mentioned like FOMO, fear of missing out. Like that's that's the one thing I think that the internet. It's one of the worst things about the internet is that the it's this constant thing of Friday night, where are you? You've got to be here, or else you know all your buddies are gonna Because like Facebook does that, it's like this thing of twenty seven of your friends are attending this thing. And I was at, I was at an event recently, actually. And Facebook told me that twelve of my friends were going to be at it. None of them were at it, <laughs> and I just went along. And I didn't, you know, I didn't make any big deal about going. I just we turned up, and I was looking out for a couple of people, and they never showed up. And actually, none of the twelve people showed up, and it got me thinking. Because like, you know, we had a kid recently, and you know, your social life just pl- You know, it just takes a tumble, and that's that's fine. But you just don't go out. You can't go out as m- <laughs> you can't really go out. And that's, but we're fine with that. But you do then live vicariously through other people and you, you see what goes on. And that, that's, that's the thing that Facebook does is that you kind of, you can observe what you used to do from the comfort of your own home, mm. but I'm not comfortable with that. And actually, and that's probably the reason why I don't really like Facebook is that it just, it doesn't really, that aspect of it feeds into an insecurity that I, I can't go out anymore but here's everyone else having a great time and here's 12 of your friends going to this event that I she didn't go to because people just people just impulsively go attending or they click yes I'm going to this because it's a thing of it's a, it's a way of telling people that look at me I'm this I'm that I'm you know you're reinforcing things about yourself that you want to tell people hey this is who I am I identify with this and that but yeah, I kind of, I've very mixed emotions about that and this constant thing of, where where are you? Where were you? You missed this, man. This is the gig of the century or this is the nightclub of whatever it is. It's, it's, it's kind of, it's bullshit. It's sort of bullshit. And people, I don't know, I think you're saying about living in the moment. I was going to mention a photograph I saw. Somebody was, you know, kind of giving out about people that people don't live in the moment and, you know, we're all addicted to our smartphones and somebody put up a photograph and it was taken on a train in Chicago at rush hour, I think it was going into the suburbs, and it's a black and white photograph and it's kind of like Mad esque it's just a row of seats with men in kind of hats and, you know, looking very smart and generally not very 1950s looking, and they're all reading the newspaper. And the whole row was just heads and newspapers. And some, you know, somebody said, well this is, this is your equivalent, that's the equivalent of people on public transport they you know yeah. it's a way of switching off um but you know i kind of you know one of the things is and it's a fairly it's a very common complaint is people at gigs people don't uh, people don't absorb people don't interact um with, you know with what's going on in front of them because it's this thing of okay i'm going to record this or i'm going to take photographs and there's, there's nothing inherently wrong with that mm-hmm. But it's when you have a thing of, you know, you might be experiencing the moment and then you know it's sort of around you. And it's, it's a really, I've heard so many people give out about this. It's mm-hmm. like there was a guy in front of me and he spent the whole time with his hand up in the air with his and yeah. he basically looked at the gig through his phone. And I have mixed emotions about that because I sometimes have to be at a gig or whatever it is and take photographs. And um, so I'm that person with the technology on mm-hmm. their face, but as a punter, as someone who goes to a gig and who someone who remembers gigs before there was smartphones, like I've been to gigs where it's just not been enjoyable because of that and I don't know, like it, either people want to engage with it or they just kind of feel like they have to broadcast their this experience that they're having for a later date for Twitter or for Snapchat or whatever it is and they often kind of wonder it's like, if, if that's how they extract their enjoyment from it, well then I guess I can't complain because that's their journey and that's what they want to do but there is a kind of a dilution of simple pleasures mm. everything has to be kind of shared and everything has to be you know intimate moments Yeah. Are, are, are shared it's like you know I just got engaged and I've literally just taken a photograph and I've just posted mm. it to Instagram or whatever it is and it's like that moment is yours and no. you know you dictate how much you want to share but there's a sharing culture and it's like it's like an oversharing culture and sometimes when you when you're an observer to that like you know if you're on facebook and you see that you kind of go i i I don't know how i'm supposed to feel like i'm happy you know i'm happy for this moment for you but you know if that's the way we're going I don't know, there's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a big division, I think, between Mm. old and new, like, you know, the newer generation, they are the sharing generation, they're the ones who are constant, they are, everything's experiential and shared, whereas, I guess, that's the generational divide, it's like, we're from a Mm. generation that know. you know, we remember or we know what it was like not to do that, so we we probably are a bit more um, unwilling to engage with that.
0: No, I hear you. I'm, I'll go as far as to say very disturbing for me is it's seeing people who have, have a compulsion to, to share mm. intimate, personal moments uh, on, on Facebook or whatever. And it's like, yeah, I, I don't understand the what what's driving somebody to do that. I, I really don't, you know. I could go on about this for a <laughs> long time, but it's, you know, it's, it's degree, <laughs> I feel like I'm a bit of a warrior in this regard. And, you know... I, I do suffer a little bit for that in my, with my peers and that I'm very much out of the, the loop yeah. in that sense. And I don't know if I'm seen as an aggravator or just a belligerent or yeah. you know, grumpy on that. But in, in my own journey, in, in my own path of the artist and myself, I found that you have to self-regulate how you interact with media. And I found that, like yourself, when I'm making music or even working at my architecture work, don't get inspiration from going on the internet or listening to other stuff. I have to quieten the the noise to hear my own voice. And what do I think of this? What's my expression, my individual articulation of of Mm -hmm. whatever you're trying to create? And I think it's it's really hard to do that now, where you're constantly connected to the internet. So even like Mm -hmm. when you're working on a song or or even a, a photograph or whatever, maybe it's slightly different for photography, but anywhere where you're near a computer, it's like, in the minute, minute you have some kind of gap in the workflow or the design flow, you kind of go, I'll just go on the internet and check yeah. out what this person did or this bit of kit or whatever. I found that, I found that really hard. So i to the point where I just I, I deliberately remove myself from an environment where there is access to the internet. You know, mm. Just forcing yourself. It's like giving up alcohol or stopping eating chocolate or whatever. Mm. It's like every time you open the fridge and there's a bar of chocolate or beer in the fridge, your 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 <laughs> your challenge your willpower has just been diminished every single time to the point where you just capitulate. You know? Whereas mm. if there's no beer or chocolate in the house, the decision's kind of made for you or not. You know. Yeah. It's, um, great, it's
1: the greatest distraction ever created. Yeah. And it, it it's it's always there. It's always on. Yeah. Like procrastination, there is it. There 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 are, there are school of thoughts that say that procrastination on the internet can be a healthy thing. Um, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing, but it does kind of, um, you know, you decide to, if you decide to kind of open a new tab and, oh, I'll just check this or I'll just go on this and you just, you just, you just need 10 minutes of a buffer to kind of like, okay, I'm bored of that now, back to what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, I think, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, but it is the temptation, it's always there for you. And, you know, you, you gotta, you, you gotta knuckle down, you gotta just not. Resist the urge to kind of check some news site mm. or check something else and it's just or look at Amazon and like do a check checkout. It's like fuck that, just it's torture. It's really r- hard to do. reward <laughs> yourself afterwards <Yeah. laughs> by purchasing whatever the hell you're at you have on your basket and on, on Amazon. We were talking earlier on about um I kind of make films or videos with a photographer's eye like that was you know for, that was a kind of um a big influence for me when I was growing up it was Anton Corbin the photographer the Dutch photographer he you know did all of YouTube stuff he's done kind of he works primarily almost exclusively in black and white um and that kind of that dedication or that kind of single pursuit of one kind of visual aesthetic was just Incredibly powerful for me, and um, just compositionally, uh, tonally, he, his stuff just ticked all the boxes for me. And I was really, I was really interested because in he kind of made the transition into making music videos in the kind of late nineties. He did a video for Mercury Rev, um, and it was you know, gorgeous up in video. It kind of adopted a very kind of um, like a, a kind of a nineteen twenties visual look, um, both in the way it was photographed and in the kind of the set design but he, you know, he's made now like, three feature films and he's made like a whole lot of kind of music videos and fashion films and for Forkful, getting back to Forkful, I, yeah, I was kind of, I was kicking the idea around and um, I was in Greece on a holiday and me and my partner, we were just talking about how the food is presented and how they serve food and just the simplicity of it. And you know, if you go to a good restaurant that the simply, you know, the food is so simple, but it's just incredibly nourishing and tasty. Um, and I kind of I had the idea of doing a kind of a visual moving cookbook, like you know, um, step by step, but kind of to, ha- to have kind of transitions and to kind of make it all, you know, static shots, but, but with kind of ch- little small bits of movement and slow motion and to keep them very simple. Um, so I, I Aoife Michello and she's a, a food writer and a food stylist, and I kind of worked with her. Um, in a magazine and kind of friends so i kind of approached her about developing the idea and she was really on board with it so we kind of did a we did like a kind of a um a test shoot we did a parsnip for the recipe and we shot it in one afternoon and it was then i have an editor a friend who's an editor and he kind of i sat down with him and we kind of cut it together into like a two a minute and a half um long video and then we kind of tried out some music tracks with it and um, tried out some graphics it was just it was a way of kind of can we convey through moving images this recipe and is it going to be accessible and we, we put it together we showed it to friends and family and just to road test it and to get kind of feedback and it was all ext- like overwhelmingly positive and you know there's a party that's kind of saying are you saying that because you're being polite or do you mean that but you know, trust your instincts, and it, it, we were. I was really happy with with it, and it was. It was an extremely gratifying moment to kind of see something like to have an idea for something, and to kind of collaborate with people to follow through with it, and then to kind of have something finished that felt substantial. Um, so yeah, like that was. So we put them out. We we did we kind of did one, and we kind of showed to a few people like publishers and stuff like that, and media types, and you know they were extremely supportive. And they were kind of saying you should definitely develop this and make it into a, a mini series which we did so we you know Efa kind of came up with the recipes i kind of interpret them visually and um, so one of the i guess one of the um one of the kind of key visual motifs in the videos is a kind of the camera is constantly tracking in and out and kind of moves around it's a kind of very kind of an elegant move um, so that's kind of done on what's called a dolly slider Um, And a dolly slider is just like a, you know, they've been in motion pictures for hundred years. Or kind of, it's putting the camera on track and moving the camera so that you get this kind of gliding, kind of, you know, completely steady shot. Um, And so, I use this kind of tabletop dolly slider, which is a more miniature, miniaturized desktop version. Um, And so that, in conjunction with shooting in slow motion gives you this kind of, like, very kind of ethereal dream-like kind of, you know, in conjunction with the music, if, you know, it's a, it's all a kind of a marriage of visuals and music, um, and then we put them out, and, you know, we got a lot of incredibly positive feedback, and they were kind of picked up, and I'm not going to say they went viral, because I don't, you know, it's kind of not for me to say, a lot of people, a lot of people shared them, and, you know, it was really... Surprising how much people like them, and it was you know it was a really. I was away when they were put out, so I was just getting texts and emails from people and stuff. But that was was really really nice and kind of gratifying. But, um, the forkful, I guess the forkful concept is just to kind of produce. Food content like food videos, food photography, um, and we do stuff. We've done our we've done three series, of our own videos, and those are recipe videos. The third series that we put out last. October was in conjunction with the Irish Times they had their they do their food month every November um, and we kind of we released the videos in, in, with, the, with the Times and we did we kind of strayed off the kind of the um, off the kind of what we'd done previously and we kind of expanded on the idea and we, we actually looked at two different food producers in Ireland that kind of Aoife would would kind of be passionate about and she's a kind of a big champion and advocate of you know independent producers who are kind of Doing it, for love, passion, and um, but we're also producing incredible, um, produce. Mm-hmm. So we kind of did a, did like a, it's like a little mini kind of woman at wonder, v- little vignette on these people and what they do and where they are geographically in the country. And so one of them was this um, oyster farm, in the burn, and, uh, you know, just and then on the back of that we do a, an oyster recipe, um, and then the other one was a was a hazelnut farm in Wicklow. And the couple who live down there with their little son, um, and it's just it was just a kind of a way of expanding out without completely changing the format. So you still have a kind of this two-minute recipe video that's kind of mm-hmm. set to music, very kind of slow moving, very kind of relaxing almost. And um, we we have kind of on-screen text to kind of guide people, but they're they're not kind of literal translations of the recipes. Like if you've seen them, they're kind of they're. Gorgeous to watch, I think. I hope, um, but they're also they're kind of informative to give you enough information. But it's it's all, it's, a, it's a it's a visual interpretation of a recipe. And mm. um, so you know, sometimes you kind of you you stay pretty true to the, the steps, and other times you we we might abstract them for the sake of visual lushness, mm. and that's mm. so that's where we've gone. So we've done three three seasons of that and then we've done um, we've done a lot of content for food brands so that's kind of like expanding you know interpreting their product into into our format that's been amazing to be able to work with agencies and brands on their con- you know on their brand but to, to be kind of given free reign almost
0: I'm I'm laughing at something sorry I was going to ask you how do you feel about the happy pair Uh, the happy pair the happy pair Muppets (laughs) (laughs) well they are happy They live up to their name have you seen their their kind of uh, visual styling Uh, it's uh, they they produce also recipes for like beetroot burgers and stuff. Okay. It's real like, hey, we're fun. No, I'm funnier than you are. No, I'm funnier than you are. It's so <laughs> like, will you shut the fuck up, and within ten seconds I just fucking want to turn the thing off. But it's all like, we're really fun. And here's a burger and it's really fun to make. Yeah. And everything's really fun. No it isn't. I'm funnier than you are.
1: And like <laughs> I'm you using turn the turn it on using our off One thing, thing yeah. about our videos is that there's no there's no one presenting it. There's no face cooking the recipes all you ever see is the ingredients the the plates the hands maybe the arms and that's about it Mm -hmm. you never see Aoife because Aoife is the girl who's in all the videos but we consciously or I consciously or we both consciously decided not to show somebody or have somebody guide me through because one of my like there's certain a certain tv chef personality that I quite like but there's also ones I don't like and and I always find that you, there, everyone has to have an angle, you can't just be a good chef and be really knowledgeable, <clears throat> you have to be a prick or you have to be really arrogant or you have to be kind of, you know, an alcoholic to, to kind of, that's your, that has to be your shtick like in your thing and it can sometimes, you know, sometimes the, the person and their, their kitchen, that can almost be as almost a, a distraction to what, they're there to do, and I have absolutely no problem with that. But for what for what I was trying to achieve at Forkful, it just wasn't part of the plan. It wasn't. Right. It didn't need to be in there. It was a distraction. It was about reduction and about simplicity and about can we find ingredients or find recipes that will showcase the ingredients and showcase the the, the actual process of cooking, um, and make it into an elegant kind of beautiful, you know, experience which is what cooking can be. Um, well, I think just
0: to jump, jump in there, I think very much so that the the, the the new age of cooking TV shows is very much about the personality behind it mm-hmm. and, and their lifestyle and, and their their daily rituals. So it's always about, you know, it's Sunday brunch and they, they create, they contrive a, a you know, a, a morning routine and yeah. the, the person goes out and gets the eggs and the, whatever. Um, where I think what's unique about Forkful is is the fact that you've stripped that away. And, you know, if you look at a lot of the competition or peers uh, who are creating um, moving images around food, it, it is very much about the person first, the food second. And mm. you guys have flipped that. And it's, it's just about... And I think one of the things that I, I found interesting about it was, the, was was the immediate kind of visual styling of it that was just all about the enticement to eat, mm. you know? Oh, that. captivated by it. beautifully shot but also wow that's like beetroot hummus it's like ooh, I feel like going to make that now and I'm not distracted by oh but I don't have like a, a mini cooper and I don't have like a local coffee shop and I, you know this kind of stuff where they always yeah. cut to the person like Lorraine Pascal and they always have to have her in in you know driving through London with with the shades no, on. It's, a li- it's a lifestyle you know? it's a, it's selling a lifestyle
1: to um, a point you know yeah. that's that's how, they, that's how it works with advertising. Mm. You, you know there has to be an angle there has to be a, per, a person a lifestyle a whole mm. whole way of life to sell and it's not just about the here's what I'm cooking it, mm. there's a whole other aspect to it which you know can be fun can be interesting but generally I find distracting and you know everything you know it can never just be certain I always feel with certain things it can never just be what it is it always has to have other implication like this is this is part of a great this is part of a bigger picture you know it's a, a lifestyle choice right. and you know because you eat beetroot homeless doesn't mean to say that you've chosen a life a certain life it's just it's a recipe yeah. it's try this out let's make it accessible and, and that's the thing we've always tried to do is that even though you know we kind of walk we walk a fine line of kind of are we being too arty with this or you know are we going to lose people are these accessible enough because we want we don't want the recipes to be like you know to yeah. uh, foraging for you know we're like not like, for, yeah exactly foraging, foraging, foraging for like
0: for wild garlic in Wicklow and you've got to spend yeah like four days getting the stuff you know
1: I mean yeah. if you know where to go there's certain part you know right now there's wild garlic growing in the Phoenix mm-hmm. Park and you should go out and get some but you know not everyone can just nip out to Phoenix Park to like spend two hours foraging for wild garlic so we try to kind of not be too aspirational with our recipes. And to keep them kind of grounded in reality, but to present them in a certain way that feels mm. attainable, but also kind of inspirational mm. and sort of beautiful. And it's the visual aesthetic is you know it's always kind of for me as the director of it is the kind of the thing that I want to kind of always kind of push and find the you know find the kind of the the beauty within the kitchen, and you know and I'm, when I say the kitchen, I don't mean like. Here's a lovely wide shot of my beautiful open plan kitchen. It's here's here's a, a table setting that is uh, in keeping with the colours of the food and mm. you know the the, the, the the grain of the wood on the table and the kind of the way the fork is placed down. It's just it's, it's subtle nuances which is what mm-hmm. we we'll try to totally comes through. It's okay. good. No, yeah.
0: you about it. we're going to get all soppy now and ask you about your, <laughs> your yeah. experience of being a first-time dad uh, you know um mm. not not that this in, in any way maybe or maybe it does relate to your 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 path of uh, being a director and an artist and photo photographer but i'd just be interested a uh, human human interest part of this conversation yes yeah, you know your your reflections on Let's get real. (laughs) uh,
1: (laughs) What's it been like, you know? Um, It's been an absolute headfuck in some ways. It's the most amazing... I mean, I can't really... There's nothing I can say that hasn't been said before. It's like all of the cliches, they're all true. Everything that everyone says to you, you know, time will fly by, enjoy it while you can. Like, you begin to see all these tropes just, like, reoccurring and you're like, my God, it's true. But, yeah, it's... So our little boy, Ruben, was born last January, January 2015, and so he's like almost one and a half now. It's 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 amazing. It's it's kind of definitely changed me, and I haven't resisted the change, and I haven't tried to kind of fight against it, because I know some people, they kind of... I guess they want to kind of cling on to their old life. And when I say old life, it's like there's definitely two different lives you have, pre and post kids, and it's it's a seismic change in your life and if you've like we were kind of we were 30 so we were in our early 30s when we became pregnant so we had our 20s and you know a couple of years of our 30s just doing what we wanted to do and having that freedom and that kind of yeah I guess just the freedom to kind of do what we want when we wanted and that was um you know that was brilliant and we, we that was a decision we made We knew we wanted to kind of get our careers on track, as it were, and and kind of, you know, get to where we needed to be, um, to kind of spend all that time climbing the ladder, as they say, and whatever else, but, you know, we had a really, we had a good time socially, we were out a lot, we kind of did a lot of different things, had different types of friends and different social circles, but then there's a natural, we found there was a natural slowing down at a certain point, kind of 30, 31 we could feel it, and there was something guiding us. I'm not, I'm not a religious person, by the way, but I'm just, it felt like, okay, our, my brain is telling me there's a chemistry here that says I don't particularly care about going out every, like, two, three nights a week. Mm. You know, I still enjoy it, but I don't <clears throat> enjoy it as much. Um, and we were having, you know, the conversation wasn't just something that we'd laugh about or kind of go, no way. It was a viable option, and we were taught, you know, we were like, we've been together since we were 16 we've, you know, we've grown up together and, you know, we always knew we would have kids and get married and all that stuff, but we, yeah, we kind of, we, the, the urge and the kind of the want for a child kind of intensified and it was, became apparent very quickly that that's what was going to happen. So we, since he's been born, it's kind of, you know, the emo- the emotional, the emotional journey during the pregnancy is one thing. And you kind of, you prepare yourself as, as best you can. Um, you kind of have the place, you have to change your, your setup a home and you have to kind of, there's certain things you have to acquire and there's certain books you read and there's classes you go to and you meet these new, other expecting parents and you kind of think you've got it in your head. You're like, you oh know, this will be fine, mm-hmm. And then, it, you know, the, the birth happens and the birth doesn't go the way... It was the, you know, the way the mother wanted it to go, and there's certain things, and there's, there's compromises made straight away, and you know decisions, things that you had planned don't go to plan, so you have to kind of have a backup plan, and there's like you know you have to make decisions on the spot, and it's, you know seeing your significant other in pain or emotionally traumatized or just not being able to kind of. Not being able to kind of help, you know, you can be there for them, but you can't, can't make it go away. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a roller coaster of a of an emotional journey, going to have the baby, but it's been the best thing we've ever done. Um, he kind of, did just the simple, the simple joys, and he's at you know this, he's at an age now where he has a kind of a, a personality he's always had a personality but he's had there's a very defined personality now and there's definite character traits i can see of myself in him and of sheree and it's it's a it's a it's a beautiful thing and it's you forget about all these silly hang-ups you used to have and insecurities that you know were were, were very much part of your personality kind of just they dissipate they don't go away but they kind of they they they're replaced with new fears, aspirations, hopes, dreams mostly for your child and it's you learn to be selfless and kind of to everything you do now is for, not just for yourself and for your partner, it's for somebody else and so you become there's less ego involved, you're more kind of you're more in the moment you're kind of forced to be in the moment and um, if, if I was to
0: ask you one one thing that you didn't expect or you were not anticipating either a feeling or an observation or like what what would you say that that, that would be you know nobody told me this nobody told me this was going to happen and that, and that can be good or bad i'm actually interested in the, <laughs> the good rather than the bad, bad. You know what I mean? well i can give you i mean listen it, it doesn't have to, to be one or the other but you know
1: i think i think the level of emotion that i would feel and and kind of you know felt emotions before I had a child but I think just that kind of display of emotion and kind of feeling so happy you could cry and experiencing these little moments with your partner and just the three of you and it's it's like the most amazing precious beautiful thing I've I've ever witnessed and kind of Moments are so insignificant. If I was to describe them, they'd sound trivial and silly. Right. But going through all of that and kind of coming out to the other side and having this, this little person um, look at you a certain way is, is like, it's the most beautiful thing. And, 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 and I don't cry very often. You know, you kind of, I don't know, I think you're Irish. You kind of just suppress your emotions always. But to re- I think it's to a reconnection. Of your soft side, and that's that can only be a good thing because it makes you less cynical, and you become you know those hard edges that you have are softened slightly. Um, you know that's that's an incredible incredible thing, and there's mo- there's a few moments the first few months that I will, I'll never forget, and they're very important to me and to my partner. And the, the downside, I, don't, I mean, you don't sleep. As much, I don't get much you know you don't get much sleep my my partner breastfeeds so I don't have to do bottle feeds at night or I'm you know I kind of dodge the bullet there but I because I work all the time and you know I'm the only one working so it's I don't get phased by it but there is that kind of you do you do feel an a certain intensity ramping up and and that kind of that, that, that need to provide as archaic in some respects as it is it, it does exist because there is that kind of model for the dad that he has to fit into and I don't believe in you know I'm, I'm all about dad's staying at home mum's mm-hmm. working and vice versa this is what we've decided to do for now but I am um, there is a, you know there is that kind of constant pressure of needing to like we bought a house and we're spending our weekends like going to tile shops or you know meeting with carpenters and engaging with tradesmen and it's it's exciting but it's also you kind of you do yearn for not having all this responsibility but you can't have mm-hmm. you can't have it all man it's like you're fucking this is what you have so get on with it but it does it, it you know sometimes the enormity of the, the I think the thing that, that kills me is the kind of the the potential for what what lies ahead in the future and the not, the not knowing and the kind of the, all the potential pitfalls and the, the heartache and the things that you went through you kind of project and you go, shit, I don't want that for my son. Mm-hmm. But, you, but I don't tend to, my mind doesn't tend to gravitate towards that too much because like I said that you are in the moment, you're so busy in the moment that you don't really have time to dwell too much on the past or the future. You're just very much rooted in the present and that's a really good thing.
0: As a creative man, uh, photographer, filmmaker, mm-hmm. dad, <laughs> amongst many others, I'm sure I, I wanted to ask you about what's your key insight into into what you do. Uh, you know, if you were to if you were to give a piece of advice, or you know, what's what do you think is the, the, the okay. if you do this and do this and do no more, you know, what would that
1: be? And um, don't wait around for other people to um, hand to you on a plate. Don't um, don't be complacent. If you if you have the idea, just fucking do it. Like just follow through. It It doesn't really matter if it's kind of if you feel it's half baked or not finished or you could do with more time. Like time, like so. I think I've, what I've learned is is like don't don't waste your time. Don't waste other people's time. Um, you know, be generous with um, your ideas. Don't be precious about them. Uh, share them, bounce ideas off other people you know if you trust certain people with your with your ideas if you have somebody who's kind of whose opinion you respect well then you know get them to share their thoughts with you uh, good yeah. or bad and, and, and learn to kind of not be precious and, and to kind of take things on the chin or on whatever it's it's like if you get like if you, if you cling on to this thing and somebody else is going to do it and they'll do it and, and, and you're gonna and you're yeah. gonna watch it and you're gonna see it whatever it is if it's a piece of music or it's a photograph or it's a concept or whatever it is you're gonna see that and you're gonna kick yourself for not having jumped on that when you had it because ideas just come to you at the most weird random times and i don't understand how the creative mind works like sometimes you know it comes at the most in op- opportune time and you have to kind of you have to be a, a conduit to them and, and let them in mm. but when they do come through it's like you gotta you gotta learn how to kind of act upon them and just just be kind of just just, just do it so I would say don't wait around don't waste time just okay. do it and you'll figure it out as you go along thanks dude I really appreciate it no problem okay. yeah really enjoyed it